Hey, ladies. Welcome to Be Your Own CEO Podcast, where developing your self-worth leads you to your calling. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to Be Your Own CEO. Today's episode is titled Racial Reconciliation from the Perspective of a White Woman in America. I wanted to begin being fully transparent and very honest about exactly what I'm doing actually right at this moment. I have been preparing all of my notes for this episode the past week, and I have spent a significant amount of time preparing for this with a lot of history, and I'm going to give a history lesson. I'll talk about that in a second, but a lot of vulnerability. I'm going to be talking about some personal experiences, my own perspectives on racial reconciliation and what does it mean to me, what does it mean to our world, and how important it is for um, the advancement of Um, the true freedom and justice that the black community deserves. But I am coming at you from my closet. (laughs) Um, I'm laughing, but um, it's, it's not funny. I can't sleep. I am recording this at about midnight on Friday, June 5th, and it's about to get real. The global pandemic we're all experiencing with the coronavirus it has truly been a lot for all of us and a lot to say the least, right? Um, that might even be an understatement for many. And I have discussed this in previous episodes that while we're all in the same storm, we are all experiencing this virus in a different boat. And what does that look like, right? Um, you know, many of us, whether we're married or we have kids or, you know, we have a job, it varies. Our experience with this virus has varied. And for many, maybe it's a loss of a job, financial hardship, you know, parenting full-time from home while also working from home, battling the illness, knowing that you have underlying health conditions, maybe of a family member or a friend. And so, There's a lot to balance with all of that, and it's heavy, and we are often reminded about how humanity and us as humans and Americans truly are incredibly resilient during times of hardship and in times of struggle, and we need to applaud our strength and our courage and our bravery to continue proceeding day in and day out with all of what we have and to know that We truly are going to be able to give what we have if we are not showing up for ourselves every day and taking care of ourselves through these hard times with self-care in any way that looks like for you, we will not be able to show up for others. And I think that is very true and that's very prevalent, but we also have to be honest about that. That is something that, um, you know, is very important and also self-care is near and dear to my heart. So I wanted to say that. Now, in addition to the coronavirus that we've all been experiencing, We have all been hearing and listening to all of the events that have happened the past few months with police brutality and systemic racism and oppression in the black community. We have experienced the loss of three individuals who had a future and have dreams, and we are all grieving with them. Um, The loss of Rihanna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and just recently George Floyd have been on my heart. They are humans that deserve a life. They deserve a future and their families deserve them to be present here. And they're not. My heart has just been grieving. It's been grieving with them and many others, but I wanted to send my true condolences to their family and their loss and that I hope that they are working through their healing and their grief and 
at the end of the day, I hope they're able to unravel hope. The hope that they have internally is something that I know will guide them, you know, because I know it's guided me through the loss of my uncle that I experienced in high school. But that hope that they will endure the advancement of their family, their family's future, the nation's future, their own individual future, and to know that there will be a better day. Tomorrow is going to be here. And the way we show up today matters. And I hope that through this time, their hope is able to transcend all of the barriers that they have experienced. And so know that I'm grieving and I'm grieving with many of you. And truly what sparked this episode is this topic, these problems and these issues that continually persist in the Black community. And my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to the black community and I felt the pain. And although I am a white woman, somebody judging me based on my skin color, I haven't experienced that. And I haven't been judged negatively for that. And I couldn't imagine how that feels. And to acknowledge, I do have white privilege due to the color of my skin being white. That although this episode is based on the perspective of a white woman in America, I wanted to say that I will never know what that experience feels like. I'm not a black woman in America, but what I can do with being a white woman is to say that your life matters, um, black lives matter, and it always will. Your life will always matter, and my role as a citizen in this nation is to truly use my voice and to use my advocacy and to use my platform to continue supporting you and your community and continue empowering you to reach the potential that you deserve, the freedom and justice that you all deserve truly. And um, I will continue doing that and fighting for you until um, you know, truly the end of my life. But I wanted to say that while this episode was sparked because of the issues, they also relate to my own personal values. I continually uphold as a white educator, but then also as a person dismantling racial injustices and, and oppression and you know systemic racism. And I believe in a better tomorrow, but that better tomorrow does start with us today. And so here I am, here I am today, here I am talking to you with these hard and heavy, very tough topics, very tough topics to talk about, but it's possible. And I know it's possible because I have the strength and I have the hope to do it. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that it reflects with my own personal values, but because of my own personal values, it automatically reflects in my podcast, right? So my personal values also would reflect in my professional values yeah, it's going to come up in the future. And so whenever there's potentially a sociopolitical topic happening that's you know hot and heavy and um, has been on my mind, it may come up in an episode. And I hope that you all are able to accept that and you know hear me out as I talk through that. But I want you to be a listener. I want you to be more than that. I actually want you to be an active listener and I want you to be someone who reaches out as well. I love hearing from my listeners. I love hearing what your thoughts and takes are on the things that I talk about, but I also want to know how you're doing. And so, yeah, let's begin. I know you're going to probably think this is absolutely hilarious, but I want to walk you through my agenda for today's episode. And that's the educator coming at me, 
but I think it's easier if you hear like a walkthrough of what you're going to experience. And yeah, so in the beginning, you're going to hear some quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm going to talk about him for just a little bit. And then we're going to dive into a 10 to 15 minute history lesson. I was able to pull from several sources this week on the history of the United States with systemic racism and oppression. And so we're going to start with the Civil War and then go all the way up to present day America. And we're also going to talk about a couple definitions of systemic oppression and what equity mean. We are also going to dive into racial reconciliation. I have a acronym for reconcile that I will share with all of you. And so I created an acronym for reconcile and I will walk you through all of that. I will also walk you through my own personal experiences with race and with dating. And I have several friends that are very diverse. So, you know, I have a lot of, you know, multiple perspectives all intertwined in this episode today. But yeah, so we're going to dive right into the Martin Luther King Jr. quotes. They're actually pulled from his I Have a Dream speech, which was his very famous speech in the early 1960s. But here are his quotes. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The next one. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. The last one hits me a lot. The one regarding our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. The reason that's so heavy for me is because I know through the protests and the solidarity among many organizations, celebrities, companies, families, all of these people that are working in solidarity right now, I know they're not being silent. And truly, that's what's moving this country forward in this moment right now, y'all. I know that we're not being silent. Now, some people are. Right? And the people that are being silent, they're not progressing this problem. Um, they're actually magnifying it. They're making it worse. But since there's so many people working alongside one another, I immediately reflect and I'm like, wow, we have so many who care. We have so many who are listening. We have so many who value the futures and the dreams and the hope of the Black community and they will not give up. I feel that. I feel that a lot. And so yeah, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Y'all, we need to be enraged by what's going on. We need to be preventing, um, you know, this from happening in the future. And how do we do that? What does it look like? And, you know, the first step in getting that freedom and justice that these people deserve who've been affected by systemic racism and oppression and police brutality and all of these things is doing the things now, protesting, donating, go to change.org, donate, sign petitions. There are several GoFundMe accounts right now. You can do so many things and you need to be doing that. Do the things that matter, okay? These lives that are lost are not able to come back and we need to support one another. And so it's just, it's hard. It's, it's meaningful. Your work matters. The reason I started with Martin Luther King Jr. is because his I Have a Dream speech still lives today. His quotes from that speech still live in our hearts and the way I actually, you know, teach the kids in my classroom when we talk about Martin Luther King Jr., they know all about his speech. We've, we've watched the speech together, but we've also like dissected parts of it too. 
um, broken up like, you know, what does this mean? And like, what do these words mean? And all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, um, you know, his words still live in our lives, but they also live in our hearts and his values that he spoke also are true today. And we are still advancing to make them more true and also more true than ever. So they matter. But, um, you know, Martin Luther King was a Christian minister. So we know that he was a Christian and um, he's a believer and he was an activist in the civil rights movement. And he was a leader who created more leaders. And the part about him being a leader and creating more leaders is valuable. We know that the best leaders create more leaders. They don't create more followers. They create more leaders. And we need that. Our country needs that. And we need to be creating more leaders. Martin Luther King did just that. But we're going to start with the history lesson. And I wanted to begin all the way back to the Civil War. The Civil War began in 1861. And it lasted for about four years. It ended around 1865. And the Civil War was um, the result of decades of tension between, you know, northern states and southern states. And they were arguing and fighting. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of uproar and a lot of challenges regarding slavery, you know, states' rights, and westward expansion. They had experienced all of these problems. And so the Civil War began and it lasted that long because there wasn't much reconciled. Following the Civil War, they were able to abolish slavery, which was regarding the 13th Amendment. Following the Civil War, we are going to jump into the Plessy v. Ferguson case in 1896. This case was where they ruled racially segregated public facilities as legal. Jim Crow laws. They're very similar to that. And so that was everything from bathrooms to drinking fountains, schools, churches, and so forth. That was everything you could possibly think of. There were many places that were segregated. And unfortunately, they still saw it as equal because all the facilities were given the exact same. It's just that they were equally segregated. And I couldn't imagine from my perspective what that looked like Although I've seen pictures and, of course, videos over the years, and especially in school as a student, and then also as a teacher and showing the kids, um, I truly couldn't even imagine what that looked like and what that felt like, the isolation and the divide that that creates within our hearts and within relationships among people. So it's very important to think about. Following the Plessy v. Ferguson case, we are going to jump into the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, which happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it occurred in the Greenwood District, was Black Wall Street was located, and that is one of the wealthy black communities in Tulsa. And it lasted from May 31st to June 1st in 1921, and it is where white residents came together in a mob, and they attacked black residents and businesses in the Greenwood District. Like I had just said, one of the black communities in Tulsa considered Black Wall Street, and they attacked their homes and their businesses. They had everything from guns, explosive, dropped bombs, and all sorts of stuff. Um, it was quite a massacre. There were 36 deaths, 26 black and 10 white, and they had so many um, that were affected and injured. In fact, they had over 800 that were injured in this incident. So it was horrible, and I can't even imagine that moment in history and having lived 
um, in Tulsa, you know, 99 years ago, what that felt like as a white person, if you obviously don't agree with that. And then as a black person or having a family member or a friend being affected by that with their business. And I can only imagine that divide that it created not only locally, but also nationwide. And it truly hits home because I live just a few blocks from the Greenwood District. Following the Tulsa Race Massacre, we are going to jump into the early 1950s, which was when the NAACP, which was the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, and that was where they had challenged the segregation laws in public schools. And what this happened, um, you know, this led to the Brown versus Board of Education um, Supreme Court case, and this is probably the court case that many people have heard of. It was in 1954, and it was where Oliver Brown was denied entrance for his daughter, Linda Brown, in Topeka's all-white school. And it became a Supreme Court case because he wanted his daughter to attend the school, but she wasn't able to. And so the court case was ruled um, that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional. However, since they declared that, they were able to proceed forward with um, integration in schools yet. They didn't believe in that yet. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't in their hearts and minds to proceed with that. And so they did, they did declare segregation violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, but they didn't speculate and um, they didn't allow for integration to occur in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, and she didn't give up her seat. And so a lot of black people in the South and for in various parts of the United States, they would have to either stand up or obviously like stand in the back of the bus. And so she she decided to sit down and she stood up for herself and knew that I'm going to sit and I deserve a right to sit. And I absolutely agree with her, right? She deserved that, but um, she ended up getting arrested. And that's what sparked the Montgomery bus boycott and that entire movement. And then after that, not too long after that, roughly about eight years or so, Martin Luther King Jr., he was able to deliver his I Have a Dream speech, his famous I Have a Dream speech that we still all hear, you know, to this day. And that's why I started this episode with his, his words and his important quotes and how we need to live more of his words out and what does it mean in our hearts. But he delivered it in 1963. And then right after that, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 occurred. And that was where they outlawed discrimination based on race, your color, um, religion, sexual orientation, country of origin, and all of those things. So there's been some advancement, right? So in that year, his speech happened and the NAACP was progressing with all of their, um, you know, declaring that racial segregation in schools needs to be outlawed. And so a lot was happening. And then a few years after that, Martin Luther King did end up getting assassinated, but also um, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 did happen. So the voting rights actually happened, you know, a few years before he was assassinated. But all of this was so important in the 1960s, mid-1960s and late. But the Voting Rights Act of 1965 declared African Americans the right to vote. And so they were able to vote in that they knew that the federal government couldn't declare their right to vote as um, unconstitutional. They knew that they couldn't deny it and that they deserved the right. Now I want to go ahead and dive into two words in the definition of each. The first word is systemic oppression. It is where systems intentionally disadvantage marginalized groups and marginalized groups would be considered minority groups to be disadvantaged. So the dominant group is at an advantage. You know, I just want to put that into context for you. And that also helps 
after hearing the history of the United States the past 100, 200 years, and to hear how that systemic oppression and that racism had occurred in a lot of scenarios and events and the civil rights movement. And then the next one is equity. And equity is providing needs for everyone to be successful, not treating everyone the same and all with the same things. And so the reason that equity is really important is because we know that if we give everyone the same thing, truly some will progress faster, whereas others will be advancing much slower. And I'm actually going to be referencing a picture. You may have seen this you know, going throughout, um, you know, the internet or, you know, through Facebook or social media, but there's a picture of three people standing behind a fence and they're watching a baseball game. So just envision this and they're behind a fence and equality is a picture of all three of the people. There is a toddler, it looks like a little boy and then an adult, right? So it could be the father and they all three have the same size stool to stand on, okay? That's equality, right? They all have the same stool that is the exact same height. Now, clearly, the adult, right, the father in the picture, can see above the fence. The kid that's a little bit older, potentially in elementary school, can see briefly above the fence, and then the toddler can't see as much at all. Actually, I think they're about probably a foot below the fence. That's equality. They all have the same, but it's not equitable. And the reason why is because we need to make sure that everyone receive what they need to be successful. And what it looks like for equity's perspective is that the adult stool, that is the exact same height. Now, clearly, the kid that's a little bit older, potentially in elementary school, can see briefly above the fence, and then the toddler can't see as much at all. It's not equitable. And the reason why is because we need to make sure that everyone receive what they need to be successful. And what it looks like for equity's perspective is that the adult, the dad in this picture, does not stand on a stool. The other kid stands on a stool that is about maybe a foot tall. And this is the elementary school kid. He's looking above the fence. And then the toddler has a stool about double the size as the one that's in elementary school. And so that toddler can now see over the fence. And that toddler is able to visually watch the game, but they're able to see the game from a clear perspective, from a more equitable perspective, and that's truly what it means. When we give everyone something equal, um, you know, in retrospect, while that may sound okay, and in some circumstances that may be, but truly when we look at a lot of the systems in place that are in place throughout the United States, but then also in our school system, in all sorts of facets of our society, we do need to keep in mind equity and how we can make certain parts of our system more equitable for people who truly need that in order for them to be successful. And so it happens in the classroom all the time. It happens with our criminal justice system. You know, all of those situations and, um, you know, spheres of influence that people are in, sometimes they take over their power and they're not allowing their power to be, um, you know, in, in the, the best way that's equitable for the people. And, um, you know, being truly there for the people and supporting them. And they're just giving them all the things that are equal rather than equitable. And so that is super important to keep in mind. And so following the definition of those two words, I am actually going to jump into a few aspects of systemic oppression and systemic racism in just a few examples. So a few examples are over-policing and black communities, police brutality, again, redlining, like I had discussed earlier, which is denying loans to those that are in um, particular low-income neighborhoods, economic disparities. You know, there's a wealth gap 
among white people and black people, um, racial profiling, mass incarceration, extrajudicial killings. These are killings that were unwarranted. Um, all of these are examples of systemic oppression and racism that do lie in the United States and that we do need to be aware of and to truly work on dismantling these aspects of systemic oppression and racism. It is also really important that we recognize Black women have also been affected by systemic racism and oppression in America, not to mention they have also been affected by police brutality. And I wanted to pull up a couple sources that I have read and one just recently that was posted by Time on June 4th, and it is titled, Why Are Black Women and Girls Still an Afterthought in Our Police Violence? And an excerpt from this article says, in a country reeling from being involuntary witnesses to the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, Breonna Taylor's death does not fit the spectacular forms of police killing that we have come to associate with America's nefarious lynching past. As such, the Louisville protests on her behalf after Floyd's death were belated attempts to rectify and recognize the ways that black women are rarely the first thought in our outrage over police shootings, but black women are surely worthy of more than secondary outrage. Rendering black women as the afterthought in matters of police violence necessitated the creation of Say Her Name campaign in 2015, a perennial reminder that black women are victims of state violence too. If this doesn't enrage you, you are part of the problem as well. This is absolutely horrible and disgusting to really reflect on. Some of our cops in America as well are getting away with this and taking advantage of the black community and particularly black women. I was informed by a friend last night that there was just an experience a few days ago by a woman in Washington state, this was spiraling around on Twitter, a 200-pound white cop topped and choked a black woman over a title transfer. Y'all, a title transfer. And this cop works for Bellevue Police Department in Washington state. And so basically he is sitting on top of her and she's crying out for help and to call more police when really they're supposed to protect and serve. And it truly makes you wonder, how are they protecting and serving when he is, again, taking advantage of the situation and his power? I wanted to also note that Black women are also affected by structural racism in medicine. Another article that I found is from Rewire News, Structural Racism in Medicine Worsens the Health of Black Women and Infants. And another excerpt from this article, I wanted to read this just to put you into perspective of more of the problems that do lie in America's structural racism that exists. U.S. women are two to three times more likely to die than women in Canada from the start of pregnancy to one year after delivery. The infant mortality rate for black women's babies are more than twice the that of all races. According to 2017 data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that's the CDC, and black women are two to three, three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes compared with their white counterparts. In some places, it's worse. In New York City, from 2006 to 2010, black women were 12 times more likely than white women to die from pregnancy-related complications. This also exists in underlying health conditions, getting effective medicine and treatment. This also is affected in 
by women in third world countries that are not receiving contraceptives they deserve, also birth control, and all the other things related to women's labor and delivery, but then also pregnancy and various other women's health concern needs. And this is frightening. I am absolutely disheartened by hearing this, and I know that this happens every day in America. And although I'm not a black woman, we need to talk about this. This is a problem. This is not acceptable. And nor will I ever accept that. And I'm still trying to think of ways that I can be a part of the solution. After that, I do want to jump into an acronym that I made regarding racial reconciliation. And the acronym is RECONCILE. And so if you're able to, you can grab you know, a pen and paper or use your virtual notes in your phone. I highly encourage you to make notes of all of this. RECONCILE is broken up into one word or two words for each part. And so the first R is READ. I put that there because that is truly important. We are able to learn so much more about our world and the world that we live in when we read, when we read books and expose ourselves to new information. And a few examples of books that I highly encourage um, are White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kundi, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, um, Divided Sisters by Midge Wilson and Kathy Russell, Locking Up Our Own by James Foreman, The Wrenched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, you know, these are all a few examples of some books that you could read and that may help you in better understanding race, inequality, equity, systemic oppression, systemic racism, all of those things. First R is read. Second one is educate. And I have educate yourself. You are putting in the work. You are making a personal decision as a citizen of this country and a personal decision just individually to be a better person, right? At the end of the day, what does that look like to try to be a better person? It is actually taking the steps to become a better person. And that includes reading, educating yourself, whether it's you know, signing up for classes at a local community college or university, taking time and to invest in lifelong learning regarding systemic oppression and racism and so that you are informed and you're a better person because of that because then you can inform others and more people and, and inspire more people to truly work on dismantling the systems that are in place that are not allowing black people to have the equity that they deserve. After the E, I have C, which is collaborate and then it also is culturally competent. And the collaborate side is to work for organizations that truly have the mission, vision, and values within them, um, you know, to make sure that they are creating a diverse organization, they're hiring diverse, but they're also working on coaching practices and training and professional development regarding these issues, um, working on cultural competency, you know, having speakers come in and partake in whole company discussions regarding DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so working for an organization has those true values. That's super important. I truly believe in that. And I believe that more organizations and companies need to do that for their employees. But then the other side of being, uh, building cultural competency is really working on that. Um, it's not just having friends who are black or who are Latino, or whether they are Jamaican or whoever, um, it is truly asking them questions, asking them more about who they are, where they came from, where is home, where do they call home, what, 
what can they tell you a little bit about their story and where they came from? And that allows you to open up into their world a bit more. You know, it's one thing to be friends with these people, but it's another thing to truly ask them questions and to have an open dialogue regarding this. And of course, it takes time to be comfortable and have these hard questions and in conversations in general, but that time that it takes is worth it and it strengthens your relationship and creates a better bond between the both of you. After the C is an O, which stands for outside comfort zone. You need to challenge your preconceived perceptions or potential stereotypes or implicit biases regarding someone from another race or ethnicity as yourself. You need to really sit and reflect on what stereotypes or biases you may already have and to work on acknowledging that and then also knowing why did that stereotype occur? Why do you believe in that? Or why did that happen? Not only to shift that perspective, but to reflect. Um, There's so much about reflecting and stepping outside your comfort zone, but really strengthening yourself and saying, hey, I had this perspective, but every time I've learned something new, I've started to believe something different. It's okay to admit to others that your perspective has changed once you learn something new. That is absolutely normal, and that's showing growth. After the O, we have an N, which is normalized discomfort. And that also goes with the O, stepping outside your comfort zone. But the N, normalizing discomfort for new information. Every time you learn new information, digest it, reflect, and share with others that you learn something new and you may have a new perspective, which is absolutely okay. After the N, we have another C, which stands for communicate. And communicate is huge in all relationships that you have, you know, throughout your life. Communication is going to fuel the strengthening of that relationship, right? So lack of communication, we know that that can hinder a relationship and the closeness and trust and loyalty. But we know that if you strengthen communication and you're very open and honest and vocal about your own perspectives and what you're going through, then you are able to be a better communicator, stronger communicator, and listen to others. But what I mean by the communicate part is truly make friends with those who look different from you, who also have opposing values, um, maybe different political perspectives or whatever, but allows you to learn from other people. Um, It does allow you to learn why they believe that, you know, their own personal upbringing, but it also allows you to take into consideration, oh, they think of this perspective or they think of this thing different than me, but I think of it this way and we can learn from each other. And that's really big. So I challenge that. And so it's important to have those hard conversations and to celebrate that diversity. After C, we have I, which is inform. Continually inform yourself. And that's all it is. It goes back to all of the ones that were above this, educating yourself, collaborating, stepping outside your comfort zone, normalizing new information, you do have to inform. You have to take the steps to inform yourself and educate yourself on issues, current issues, sociopolitical issues, current racial issues. And then L is listen. That is in regards to being an active listener. You have to actually practice being an active listener, and that takes a lot of time. That takes skill, and you need to build that muscle. And you need to embrace being a lifelong learner, especially with that in listening. After the L, we have an E, and the last one, E, stands for empathy. And I really believe in empathy because empathy allows us to put ourselves in another person's shoes and look at life from their perspective. And I know that when we are able to lead with empathy, we become better people, we become stronger communicators, we become 
more empathetic to other people's stories and we're able to truly value where they came from and who they are and, and where they're going, right? And those are the three biggest things that I talk about a lot in this podcast, who they are or who you are, what you're doing, who someone else is, what they're doing and where they're going, where you're going, where they're going. Everyone has a story here on this earth and their story is valuable. Their story is important and it is something that is meaningful for you to learn and to step outside your comfort zone and say, hey, I want to know something that you've been through or you'll ask them about their upbringing, experiences that they that they went through or hardships that they were able to be resilient and, and move forward. It's amazing. Humans are truly incredibly resilient. And I know that I talked about that earlier, but we truly are incredibly resilient beings on this earth. And I'm so proud of, I'm so proud of so many people. And for so many people who take a stand for that, who know that every single experience that we go through, we can learn a lesson from and become stronger from it. And that kind of leads me to saying my own personal perspectives just a little bit. For much of my life, I've been curious about other stories. And I can honestly truly say that because I know that when I think about my friendships, you know, all the way back from, you know, K through 12 school, but then especially in college, for sure, I would say, you know, seven years ago, all the way up until this moment, it's more prevalent than ever. But I've always loved learning people's stories particular events that they've been through, adversities they've experienced, hardships, grief, losses, successes, celebrations, all of those awesome things and really challenging things that they've been through. I want to know and I have always been eager to learn about from other people because I get excited when someone shares something, you know, very hard with me because then I know that they have felt comfortable and I have created a space for them to feel comfortable and and to learn, um, you know, from each other. And so I've been much of my life someone who enjoys learning about what other people have been through and their own personal stories. And so it's actually led to me being curious about their background, where they call home and et cetera, right? It's allowed me to wonder and be curious and to question all of the things that they've been through. And Sometimes it's hard, so some people are less willing to open up about those things while other people um, aren't. You know, they'll be, you know, more open and they want to share those things and they want someone to, you know, discuss these situations with them and converse regarding, you know, simil- similar things they've been through, different things, but there's always one place we can connect. We know ultimately at the end of the day, humans love connection and we absolutely need it. Um, you know, we need it in order to thrive in our relationships, but we truly absolutely need it. Um, you know, we need it in order to thrive in our relationships, but we truly, we need connection makes us feel less isolated, less alone, you know, going throughout our journeys with our life. And, um, I've learned that we learn best from each other. I know that I have been in previous relationships, interracial relationships, and those have been some of the strongest relationships I've ever had. And one of the biggest reasons why is again, it goes back to the stories it goes back to learning more about where they call home. And I've learned more about where they call home, why it's so meaningful for them, and how my aspect of home or my perspective or my feeling of home um, can ultimately feel very similar to theirs. We know home is not only a place, it's a feeling. And we all love that feeling. We all gravitate towards that feeling of home. And when we find home in other people, it makes us feel 
very alive and it brings us warmth and love to our lives. So when I think about previous interracial relationships I've been in, when I have dated someone who is from Africa all the way to um, you know, an African-American man or someone who's biracial, and I've dated several different men from various race and ethnicities. And so I look at that and I look back on my own personal experience with that and I have truly valued from every single one of those experiences a lot. And I have valued their time. I have valued the wisdom that they've given me and perspectives. And that is something that I'll take with me the rest of my life. And so I appreciate that from them. And I know that I have truly become a better woman because of that. And I encourage the same for others in that you can obviously date whoever you're comfortable with. But I truly believe in dating based on character and dating based on passions and similarities and joy and humor and, you know, all of those core values that we have and to date someone that aligns with those core values. But at the end of the day, if you relate to someone who has a core value that's similar to yours or has a life passion that's similar to yours and they're from a different race or ethnicity than you, to never be ashamed of that, to celebrate that and to embrace that and to to hug each other, you know, emotionally, mentally and physically and to say we are stronger as humans together. We are stronger because we have gained multiple perspectives from each other and we are stronger because we've learned where home is. While our home or our culture may be different from one another, learn an incredible amount and that wisdom is something, again, we take with us the rest of our lives. And so intimate relationships are really important and truly is valuable to me, but I look back and I'm so grateful for the relationships that I have experienced. And I know that the particular people that I have to date, of course, have aligned with my values. And we really need to be intentional. Dating needs to be intentional, something that we take seriously because it's people's time and time is something we never get back. But the moral of the story of this whole thing, I want people to work on a more unified perspective, values, and um, work towards unity and connection. I know at the end of the day, our nation needs it. We all ultimately desire that and thrive for that. That's why these protests have been happening. Um, That is why so many organizations and families and GoFundMes and all of these things have been occurring. And, you know, so many people have been speaking up. We have urged each other to um, feel more connected in these moments. And we have felt a lot of love and solidarity through that. We need more of that. Our country needs it. More importantly, our world does. And I challenge you to educate yourself more, to talk to others who are different from you, to ask the hard questions, to support other people, to reflect on um, people who are from a different race than you and ethnicity. And um, I really want you to lead with empathy. At the end of the day, I want you to sit there and think, what did I do for others today? Like Martin Luther King Jr. said in one of his lines in his I Have a Dream speech, life's most persistent question is what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? Reflect on that. See if you can answer that. At the end of every day, what did I do for others today? How did I lead with empathy? And how am I able to reform our nation? How am I able to dismantle systemic racism and oppression in America? And what steps am I taking to get there? What, t- what steps am I taking to make a more unified and connected city 
state and nation. We need it. All of us need it. And we all need to take a step for a better tomorrow. I believe in a better tomorrow, but it truly starts with us today. That concludes today's episode on racial reconciliation from the perspective of a white woman in America. Don't forget you can reach out to me at coachkatherineturek at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you ladies.